Hello, all, and welcome back to another episode of the Strategic Whimsy Experiment. My name is Jennifer Hahn. And I'm Sarah Callen. And the Strategic Whimsy Experiment is a weekly gathering place filled with conversations about the films that shape our lives. Today, we are continuing on our Matrix journey leading up to the newest Matrix movie. Uh, Today, we are going to be talking about and discussing the third installment in the franchise, The Matrix Revolutions. Sarah, do you want to kick us off with a summary for this movie? Sure. The human city of Zion defends itself against the massive invasion of the machines as Neo fights to end the war at another front while also opposing the rogue Agent Smith. All righty. And in speech tradition, our one-sentence summaries for The Matrix Revolutions. What was your summary? My summary is machine learning at its most terrifying. (laughs) Yes. AI, ML, Mm -hmm. it's real. All the letters. (laughs) Yep. And it's all terrifying. And it's terrifying combination. (laughs) (laughs) I want to go move to a little island where there's no technology and no machine learning Mm -hmm. and... Just no thank you. Mm-mm, I mean, I had the like doom and gloom, the thunder, yeah. the darkness. So mm-hmm. this is movie's with you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. My summary is time to blast some sentinels myself in the Matrix video games next. Nice. I wanted yes. to get in the ship and start blasting them too. Yes. It looked like so, so much fun. fun. <laughs> yep. So this is great marketing. Great marketing. All right, so let's start off with initial initial thoughts of The Matrix Revolutions, the third movie in the series. What do you think? Yeah, I uh, so I know that I watched this when it came out, but I didn't remember it except for that last final seat scene between uh, Neo and Agent Smith. Mm-hmm. But I just I remember this movie being awful, and upon rewatching, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. I was very surprised. Um, This is a very watchable movie. It's not good, but it's watchable. And you know what you're working towards. Um, You're invested in the characters. There are some interesting stakes. Neo gets hurt. Uh, You know, so a lot of good things happen in this. It's still not a good movie, but it's way better than the second one. So I was pleasantly surprised at how watchable this was. And uh, I was actually interested in what was going on, and I could follow what the characters were doing. So I was I was pleasantly surprised with this rewatch. This was a fun movie to experience. I had so much more fun than I expected to. Um, all of the scenes in the basically the second and the third act of this movie with the Sentinels coming and Zion needing to defend the city. All of that was just such a thrill. So I got a kick out of that. I think the first 30 minutes of this movie is is um, kind of the same problems that I felt with the second movie, which is a lot of world building that didn't make a lot of sense and felt like I didn't understand, at least I personally didn't understand what we were working towards or what the purpose was. Um, a lot of the scenes with the Merovingian and the train man. I'm like, where are we trying to go with this? Um, mm-hmm. I thought that the middle and the ending part of this movie was pretty strong. Um, I had a lot of fun with it. I think it's a lot of also to the classic um, plot structure techniques that we see used quite often. You know, like we're following two different groups of people. Um, we're cutting back and forth between the action between them. Um, both of those story arcs are um, dependent on each other. So what one, what happens in one story arc is going to somehow impact the other. And so all of that was exciting. Um, there's some badass women in this movie, which was great to see. Yes. And they got some other moments. I was surprised yep. by that. So, um, pleasant, pleasantly surprised is a great way to describe it. And I think you use that to describe this movie. I think after watching the second movie, I was expecting this to be more of that. And this actually goes in a different direction and it's a pretty good time. Which, so one of our our complaints about the second one is that it felt like it was a bunch of like random set pieces that didn't actually go together. And so then watching the third film makes some of those decisions in the second film make sense because they knew what they had in the first film. They knew where they were going in the third film. And so they knew they had to have these different things happen in the second one to get them 
to the third mm-hmm. film. But unfortunately, those just didn't make sense as a film by itself. So watching the third one made me, I, the second one is still awful, but it made me not hate it as much because I could see the threads that they were trying to pull through to connect the first film to the third film. It's just unfortunate that in a trilogy like this, usually the second film is the hardest one to write because, you know, you, you're, you're in it, you have these characters, you have some momentum, but you're trying to get to the place so you could get to your conclusion eventually. (laughs) So it's that awkward middle that we experienced in the second one. Uh, but it's finally resolved in the third one in a in a surprisingly satisfying way. I was I was very shocked. Yeah, I was thinking about how it, when these two films were originally released, they were released six months with within each other, and I think that makes a lot more sense. Um, agreed. It, the, the second movie still doesn't work as a standalone, but I guess knowing that six months later you would get to see the second part of the story and see some of the threads tied up. Um, might have been more satisfying. There are still some uh, continuity pieces between things that we learn at the end of the second movie that we it seems like we kind of ignore at the beginning of the, this movie. Mm-hmm. And I had some issues with that. One of the biggest ones is this idea of the prophecy. And we learn a pretty big piece of information at the end of the second movie that the prophecy is not real. It's part of the design of the matrix. It's meant for people to believe in it, but it's the the ultimate goal is for the matrix to restart itself. And so by the end of this movie, it's just some fun thought exercises on, you know, is the prophecy still real or not? I mean, my theory is that it's still part of the matrix design because we see that the matrix is rebooted and restarted. There's a new version of it at the end of this third movie. And we still see the architect somehow playing a role in all of that. Um, So I'm curious if you had a perspective on the idea of the prophecy being true or not true. It seems like everyone in this movie, um, in this third movie, just is continuing to believe that even though they've gotten the information that it's part of the design. I don't know how they grappled with that, uh, but they've seemed to continue on their belief. Yeah. I, I really wish that we would have had maybe a little bit more time to watch the characters grapple with this. Um, but I, I also understand that when you're in this like fight or flight moment, you really don't have time to like have this deep philosophical, like, hmm, what do I believe? Like, no, you're just trying to survive. So I I get that, but I I wished that we had gotten more of that because the the second film ends with this huge bomb being dropped. And it's Mm -hmm. almost like Morpheus has this one moment of emotion and like, oh, tear, but then that's not explored again. You know, we see him not going with Neo and Trinity in the third film on their mission. So that could be him kind of like distancing himself from maybe the prophecy. But I don't know. I I wish that we would have gotten a little bit more of them wrestling. But I also get that they're just trying to survive. So it's it's not the time. But if there if there had been a way to kind of weave that in, it might have made um might have had more emotional stakes in this rather than just we're just trying to survive like we we just don't want to be killed but mm-hmm. maybe that's just yep. too much for the movie also true there seems to be such an emphasis in this third movie on people in Zion people that are part of this like rebel group believing in Neo and making decisions mm-hmm. like Niobe um that don't seem uh, to the the normal person that doesn't believe in the prophecy to to make sense, and we see some of those like conversations play out. She has to answer to the council on why she's chosen to give up her entire ship for Neo to like go alone or with him and Trinity to the Machine City. And it seems that there isn't a lot of um, clarity on what his goal and what his plans are for that. So. And it's a theme that I think is revisited again and again in this movie. The the kid um, who ends up opening gate three also in the final moments is saying that he believes the Oracle 
in her moment declare in the final moment of this movie mm-hmm. declares she believes. And so I I loved those pieces of it. I think it it's fitting with kind of the messianic themes of the entire Matrix uh, franchise. But the it the whole question I kept asking was what what are you like if you've gotten information from the person who's designed the Matrix that the prophecy is not real? Why are why are all these people still believing in it? And I think that maybe is an interesting question that I think would have been been fascinating to explore, but maybe the film isn't interested in doing that. Um, maybe that's just, as you mentioned, not not time to really explore or dive into that. Uh, but it seems to be quite a big theme that I felt like doesn't really sit well with things that happen in the second movie. Mm-hmm. But also, isn't that just like human nature? Isn't that, uh, what's that called? Confirmation bias? Like, where you continue to like believe this thing, even when you get all the information to the contrary, like, you, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, I don't know, it's, it's a weird thing to watch, you know, because you're watching all of these characters follow this path, even though they're making decisions that don't make sense based on the new information. But, you know, we, we're not that logical as humans. <laughs> and so I, I think that choice probably points more toward humanity and how we actually make decisions than maybe we're comfortable admitting to ourselves. Mm. Again, I I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if that's what the film was trying to say, but that's, uh, that's how I'm going to spin it. (laughs) True. And, and a lot of times, like when we are, when we have hope for something and we've, we've staked our, our entire existence, like Morpheus or others on, this uh belief then it's hard for us to just quickly abandon that Mm -hmm. yep they were real invested they especially when they've seen neo do all kinds of things that they've never seen anyone do in the matrix with this mind so yeah all right i like that i like that read (laughs) i can sit with it i can roll with it perfect (laughs) great okay what else bothered you maybe we can uh (laughs) Clear some oh, other yeah. things up. <laughs> yeah, I have one other big one that bothered me, which is the whole scene where Trinity is dying and she seems to be stabbed <laughs> by the yeah. little jellyfish arms of the Sentinels. And she has this whole monologue where she talks about how she can't be brought back to life this time. But in the previous movie, we've seen that uh, Neo has had the ability to reach inside of her, restart her heart, pull out the, the the bullets that are in her. And so it was fascinating to me that they've written that scene to to actively acknowledge the fact that, yes, we've revived you before, uh, but not this time. And there wasn't a good reason for why she could not be brought back again this time, other than it makes for a more dramatic ending to this movie. So I had some problems with that. I can look past it because it it adds some dramatic um, uh, tones to this ending. Uh, Neo had to give up, essentially give up and let go of Trinity in order to continue on with his mission to save humanity. So I get it. (laughs) But logically, I'm like, oh, you could do it last time, which is not this time. Why is that? Yeah, I, so my, my silly answer is uh that in the second movie he's superman but without kryptonite so he can do anything in the third movie he's daredevil who has a very (laughs) different set of skills so he was more limited uh because he's no longer superman who can do anything but um yeah i i wish they would have done a little bit better uh at, at how that scene was written but i love that she died because the the second film the thing that we griped about well one of the many was that neo was like nah i'm gonna screw over the entire civilization for my girl and so it was so great that in this film he she still dies so either way she was gonna have to die and and i think that that's really uh an interesting uh an interesting plot device because it it basically invalidated all of his choices that he made. He should have just (laughs) at the second film chose 
everybody else um, and would have ended up with a better outcome than what they had. So I, I think just for me, instead of focusing on like what she was saying, because I was like, I don't care about your monologue, even though Carrie Ann Moss delivered it beautifully, it was great. Um, I was more thinking about, wow, like Neo, you just made some really crappy decisions. And instead of saving everybody and letting the system reset, you had everybody fight in this war and still she died. So I don't know. I I was focused more on the macro of it rather than Mm. what was going on in that scene in that moment. Mm. Interesting. And it it seems like she also was aware that it was likely she was going to die by going with him. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is also interesting. As you were, you were talking about that, that like ultimately his, he, he, he was given the 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 he was dealt the cards that uh, are the opposite of what he chose when he was given them by the architect, which I don't know maybe this is super meta, but um, also speaks to that theme that the Frenchman, the mayor of Ginian, talks about a lot about, which is like this illusion of choice. And mm-hmm. uh, I think there's just maybe some interesting commentary there on perhaps the whole conversation and scene and the idea of choice that the architect has was giving uh, Neo at the time was just a, a show, just a, an illusion for him, and that mm-hmm. this was all part of the plan and the purpose. Uh, because the architect did talk a lot about how the one and the prophecy, um, its purpose was for resetting the matrix each time and being able to get rid of essentially rogue programs to refresh, start from a clean slate, and reboot. And so I didn't think about that. I didn't connect those two things together, but when they're put in conversation together, I think it makes a lot more sense now. Potentially, the the architect knew the events that would essentially the events that would unfold in this third movie, and that ultimately he would he doesn't have a choice, and he would mm-hmm. choose to fight Agent Smith and reboot the Matrix with a clean slate. Yeah, yeah, Ooh, it's like one of those cool, <laughs> like one of those like choose your own adventure games. But like you have two choices, but both of the choices will get you to the next outcome. You know, yeah, so yeah. It, that's really just like what it felt like to me. And of course, Neo chose the way harder path to get where they were eventually going to go, which also is just an interesting thing about the character. You know, he he had to do it the hard way, but despite all of his best efforts. It still ended up getting rebooted and she still ended up dying. Mm -hmm. Which in those scenes, I was wondering if we are meant to to root for him to choose her, you know? Like I I Mm. felt conflicted within myself uh, about which choice he should make. On one hand, there's a part of me that's like there's all of humanity on the line and here's a this is a personal sacrifice that you might need to make uh but there's a larger purpose here on the other hand he his uh stubbornness and tenacity and 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 willingness to continue to choose her every time and believe that there is a way to to keep her and continue their mission forward that there's something like admirable about his um his his willingness to continue to stay faithful to her in that which I also found admirable as well. So uh, I felt conflicted. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. And I think you're supposed to, you know, I I think any time a character yeah. has that kind of choice, like you're supposed to have the emotional connection between that character and whoever. And then, but also going, eh, but you have an entire civilization to save. So like, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious your thoughts about the opening of this movie with the Merovingian and the Trainman. Yeah, not my favorite. Um, I I think, it, it, like you said, the, that first little bit is is really, I think it's too abstract, um, which is one of the problems of, of the second film is, is it, mm-hmm. it's a lot about these different programs and, and what they do within the matrix. And so it's a little bit harder to really grasp what's going on because these are all different programs with different function and some, some are rogue, but then they have these little like groups of rogue programs that work together, but then they're against 
this other group of rogue programs. And, you know, like, it's just, it's a lot conceptually to try and keep track of. Um, I do like some of what they did with some of the dialogue um, in that train station and this, this idea about how, um, like, love and belief in these different things are concepts, but I also like that they were talking about how language helps shape the the world that we live in. So I, I think some of those conversations that they were having were, were really interesting, but yeah, I was just, I was ready to get out of the train station and um, get somewhere tangible and not in a program. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. One of the themes that I think this movie explores a lot more is the differences between humans and machines. And it seems like they continue to come back to this concept of love being a differentiator and being what mm-hmm. makes us human. Uh, it's it's something that Agent Smith talks about with Neo in their final battle scene. Um, he's continuing to ask him, like, what are you living for? What is your purpose? Is it to to love? To you know, and he's listing all these things. And I think the last one he lists is like, is it to love? Because I can tell that you are in love with this woman and you would give anything for her and all this stuff. And Agent Smith is a rogue program who, like, what is his purpose other than to self-replicate? And once he's done that, what does he have next? And I think continuously the people in this movie and kind of the themes are around human beings' capacity to love and that being their driving force for what they're willing to fight for and what keeps them going and what their purpose is. And I thought that was a really interesting way to communicate that concept. It's not too in your face as well, which I appreciated. They're not harping on it. They're not handing it to you on a silver platter, but it's definitely woven into a lot of the dialogue of some of these scenes, including the one that you mentioned with the the trainman. Mm-hmm. And, and the other thing that I liked, um, in the first act of the movie was um, what what we learn about the Oracle. Um, I it, the the actress that played the Oracle in the first two films died before she could uh, star in the third one, and so they obviously had to replace her. And I just love that they didn't try and like gloss over it and pretend like it was the same person. So I love that they they called it out and. They, they built in this idea of um, that, that there are punishments for these programs. And sometimes they can be, uh, they like revert to an older version. Um, but then I also like, she said something about herself. Um, what did she say? I wrote it down. No, where did it go? Oh, that her purpose is to unbalance the equation. And that's like another theme throughout the film is this idea of of balance. So like she unbalances the equation, which annoys the crap out of the architect. But then Agent Smith is also, you know, the other side of the equation for Neo. And so I, I also liked that theme that we saw through of like equilibrium and balance, which does harken back to the first movie a little bit. But all of these really interesting concepts that they just kind of snuck in there, mm-hmm. but they didn't spend too much time on. So you can just like pull the threads if you want a little bit and kind of see how it, it weaves throughout the whole story. But if you don't want to pay attention to that part, you don't have to, cause there's a million other things going on. So I, I liked those little moments that were so intentional and so interesting to think about. Yeah. That, that idea of balance and kind of the good and evil um, on rising together I think is I was thinking a lot about the Star Wars trilogies and the the arcs that they explore especially in the new the new movies um when Rey's powers are growing there's an equal power in Kylo Ren that is also growing on the other side and so um those themes of equilibrium and balance in the universe is I think explored in a lot of other movies as well this one seems to be doing it in an interesting an interesting way Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I liked I liked it because because you're talking about it in the context of this AI and this you know self learning program. So I I I think that that makes it more interesting. It's not just that like you know the force there's good and and evil to it, but I I kind of like that 
it's this idea that this machine is is constantly trying to stay in balance and um you know constantly bringing stuff into the equation to make sure that no side is i don't know out of control or whatever so i don't know that that machine learning piece of it or the ai piece of it i think makes this concept a little bit more unique and interesting than how it's presented in some other films but that might just be me but i i really was a fan well it makes a little bit more sense about why there needs to be balance and when one side you know when there's mm-hmm. one thing on one side of the equation there there needs to be something on the other side with the force for example like why does kylo's powers need to grow and raise grows why can't she just be really good and really powerful at the same time you know like it's it's there's a little bit more like leaps of faith that we need to take mm-hmm. For yeah. this one, it fits in the context of the universe that's been created. Well, the equation is way out of balance by the end of this movie because there's pretty <laughs> much one variable on one side and one variable on the other side. Agent Smith has wiped out everything else. Yep. And um, there's one final battle. Yeah. In the rain. With thunder and lightning. In the rain and the mud. Very, in the very sky. moody. Yep. All dark. Wow. Yeah. It's quite something. That's great. And you <laughs> see that sloshing around everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's a whole mood. Wow. It's so extra. <laughs> I love it. They're like flying through the sky with each punch. When they first started fighting, I'm <laughs> yeah. like, how are they going to escalate this? Because, I mean, this is really great to see these two dudes and the choreography of their um, – hand-to-hand combat but i'm like i there's got to be more coming and we indeed get it they're flying through the air as they punch each other i also really love that agent smith is like you know i could just sick my 80 bajillion replications on you right but it's gonna be a lot more fun if i have an audience to beat you up like that's just a special level of arrogance that makes it all the more interesting to watch. I was thinking out the whole time. I'm like, unleash your army. <laughs> but no, it, it, it's almost a pride thing for him too. Like I single-handedly alone can defeat you and I don't need mm-hmm. my army. Yep. Surprise. They're just there to be in the bleachers. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Just cheering you on. <laughs> go team, go. Hugo Weaving is so extra and yeah. it's glorious. Yes. It's glorious. It's so much fun. He snarls every line that he's been given. When he like takes over the Oracle and he takes off those glasses and does his evil laugh, like, oh my gosh, that will haunt your dreams for all of eternity. That is terrifying. Oh my gosh. But yeah, so effective as a villain. Oh my, yes. He, he's so fun to watch in this and he commits to every single line and it's over the top, like you said, but it's also just perfect. Mm-hmm. You can tell he's enjoying himself. His eyebrows are <laughs> yeah. doing, doing the most. <laughs> okay. So I was curious your interpretation on the Oracle because by the end of this movie in the kind of denouement scene, uh, she has a conversation with the architect, which we learned about in the second movie. And her and Sati are just sitting on a bench. The The architect walks up and they have this whole conversation. And my interpretation is that the, the Oracle is part of the Matrix, is part of the design. She is another program. But she's somehow also incredibly aligned with Zion. They have this whole conversation about um, – if there are humans that want to be freed, they will be freed. And the, the architect agrees to that. And I'm curious what your interpretation of that whole scene is. Because I had some questions. I have some theories, but um, more questions than answers. And I'm curious how you've read that. Yeah, I, I think I just read it more as just an extension of that um, like balance metaphor you know that that there there's the architect and all of his like perfection and all of that but then you have the oracle being his foil and so 
even though she was maybe reverted to a an earlier version, she is still her and she is still uh, performing her purpose in the Matrix. Um, so like every decision that she makes, though, is going to be the perfect foil to the architect is is really just how I read all of that is that she's just his opposite and doing her opposite thing. And so then he will have to adjust um, so that they remain balanced in the equation. So they are, they are almost like caretakers or overseers to ensure the matrix is continuing to operate as intended because she mm-hmm. seems to be providing information to Zion, which I was waiting for or I was thinking that Zion's goal is to overthrow the matrix and that they've kind of just come to this stalemate, a temporary stalemate, um, because I would assume that the architect is not interested in more humans being freed from the matrix and joining Zion. Mm-hmm. Yep. So somehow he agreed to that, but it is mentioned in the first film that most people aren't ready to leave. So I do wonder if the architect um, agreed to that, knowing that a lot of people would still stay mm-hmm. in because that's what's mm-hmm. comfortable and that's what's known um, is again, how I read that. So mm-hmm. I, I think even his agreement, knows that he will still retain a lot of power because most people won't take that risk to leave. Mm, Okay. Interesting. Interesting. And also in the second movie, we learned in his, in his conversation with Neo in that final, you know, climax scene that he's, he's given Neo the option to, I think one of the options was to let go of Trinity, sacrifice Trinity, but that he would be given uh, 14 people to, to essentially like rebuild Zion. Um, so I just, it's intriguing to me that Zion can exist and that they have come to a temporary kind of peace agreement and um, are both existing. Um, I'm intrigued in this new movie that's coming out, that's already out and that we're going to get to talk about very soon. Um, how they continue to play out the dynamics between the machines that are in power and in Zion, because it, essentially very little is resolved. They, they come to like a temporary peace treaty in this movie, uh, which makes sense because they can, can continue to write more, uh, more story, more plot. But there, there's a lot more, um, uh, what's the word? Like negotiation that it seems can go on than I would have expected between these two groups that seem to be very much at odds with each other. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that the ending feels so tenuous. Uh, I, I think if it, if it was very definitive, like, oh, the, the machine army is, is defeated and, and the right. people are free, you know, like it yep. would feel, I don't know, like weirdly unsatisfying. Yep. I, I feel like this like temporary ceasefire, uh, is just like the optimal outcome for this particular franchise. I mean, obviously from a business standpoint, it makes sense because then you can make more movies. But I also think just for this world that's been created, that is so bleak, you know, you wouldn't want something that is so overtly hopeful as your end, but something that's like, oh, they they lived to fight another day. And we don't know when, everything's going to go wrong, but it's going to go wrong again. But for now, everyone's safe and everyone's okay. And that's enough. And I just, I felt like that was a properly melancholy ending to this very dreary trilogy. Yep. And it allows for them to continue to write more. It's essentially this is like the Star Wars thing where there's always some mm-hmm. Rebel Alliance yeah. members that are surviving that will continue to fight against the empire always always you know i mean humans are scrappy like we're a whole hot mess but we're scrappy (laughs) we're gonna come back and so that's what we get to watch in the next film probably we don't know but wow it continues on so fun Mm -hmm. yep yep let's talk about the kind of third act of this movie where most of the action is taking place and it's a whole lot of fun did it work for you? Um, 
This is the whole battle between the Sentinels and Zion, Captain Niobe and her crew are trying to make it back, that whole sequence. Yeah, I, I think that's probably the part of the movie that worked the best for me. Um, just because I, 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 I usually struggle with the whole, like, the one mythology and like following one hero throughout like usually they're the least interesting character for me so I loved watching (laughs) just all of these humans um join together against this really impossible task and go you know what we're probably going to get taken out but we're going to go down fighting and like that I can get behind like that's so fun um so yeah I really I really enjoyed that piece I like how they were able to you know, we were following so many different people. And like you referenced earlier, like we got to see so many women just save the freaking day. Like that was my favorite part. It's like, yes, go Niobe, go Z. This is the best. Like y'all should listen to more women because they're clearly winning this battle for you. Um, So yeah, I just, that was probably my favorite part of the whole film was just them killing sentinels and then more would come and I would feel overwhelmed but then they'd take them out and then it was fine so (laughs) yeah I was surprised at how many moments of women being badasses there were in this movie I didn't expect it you know Mm -hmm. like for a movie in 2003 I usually have uh, much lower expectations and this one really included a lot of a lot of moments not only were women were uh, highly effective and competent, like Niobe being able to pilot the ship through uh, the mechanical line, or Char and Z being able to uh, aim and take out like one of the legs of the the big screwy thing, screwdriver, big big giant screwdriver. But there were moments where they would also stand up to the men that were around them that were seeking a different mm-hmm. direction. You know, especially the moment where Niobe chooses to give her ship over um it was awesome it was just awesome to see her stick it to him the way she does and i was impressed by that there are some moments where trinity also i mean she's just a bad badass character in general but there are quite a few moments where we got to see her take charge or think on her feet or um take control of a situation especially like the one with the mayor of Ginian at his club she drives that (laughs) whole conversation and it's amazing. It's amazing to see. Yeah, it, it. One of our comments in the in the first film was that you know Trinity just being kind of reduced to Neo's love interest and how frustrating that was. And I even feel like in the second film, like she didn't have as much to do. Um, so it was really nice to see just female characters handled differently in the third film and we got to see so many different sides especially to trinity but um for z as well you know we got to see these like soft and tender moments amidst you know craziness so it was just fun to see these three-dimensional female characters who are just willing to get in there and get it done and i i'm really interested to see what they do in the fourth film you know it's been yeah, me 20 too. years, you know. <laughs> so I'm I'm excited to see what they do with some of these female characters and how they enhance them uh, to maybe play an even bigger role in the fourth one. I don't know. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Me too. Me too. Well, the whole time Trinity was dying, I was thinking to myself, well, I know you're in the new movie. So either you're going to be in some kind of flashback or you're somehow not dead. And that's going to be fun to see unfold. I'm. I'm not going to lie. I was really distracted during that scene um, because like, so, okay, when a, when a crash happens like that and you have two characters, you know that one of them will be impaled by some object. It's yeah. just, it's what happens. What can you do? I also don't really understand how, like, she was the one who got impaled, like, in the back of the ship, but whatever. It probably made sense. Crazy things happen in a crash. But I kept getting distracted that she was like so impaled. There were like six different like rods <laughs> sticking out of her. Like, whoa, all in her like lower torso. How yep. does that happen? So I was just trying all to like figure. Organs. 
<laughs> right? Like he wasn't going to be able to restart anything or like pull anything out to no, just game over. She did. She has six like bars of rebar sticking out of her. She's not coming back. But I was And just... there's like the clear camera shot of it as well, just in case yeah. we didn't catch it. It was just so funny because she's lying there, not moving. And like, oh my gosh, she's impaled. So I was like, oh, she has like one thing sticking out of her. Like, nope. She has all of these different like rods coming out of her. Like she is dead. So I was just so distracted by how over the top they were with that scene. It was really great. Carrie Ann Moss did a great job, but wow, she was, she's real impaled. Like, <laughs> whoa. I mean, there's got to be some reason why we would buy the fact that she can't be brought back to life this time. I mean, that's true. I I mean, they got all kinds of different organs, like just cream, right? Wow. Yeah, she's they real dead. They should Neo try and he fails. And then, okay, it's over. We tried. Yeah. I don't like, care anymore. He's, he wasn't in the Matrix. So, you know, he has different powers when they're not oh, in the that's Matrix. True. That's true. So, I didn't think about that. That's fair. But, you know, he did have his like super special being able to see thing going on. <laughs> so there's that. He can see the special lights. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, no, no restarting hearts. Not this time. No, not this time. <laughs> That's fair. I didn't think about the fact that he was in the Matrix last time. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's, so, that's a key factor. Yeah. He that could see all the code universe. and stuff. and Right. Right. Now right, we just right. see lights. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Orange blazing lights. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Oh. <laughs> okay. Other things that we want to talk about with this movie. Mm, okay. So one of my, uh, one of my questions uh was so like neo is going into this like machine city and they make it seem like like oh bro like you're never gonna get there like come on this is a stupid idea um but like i would imagine that the machine city would be way better guarded than it was like they they make it pretty far into the field before anybody notices them (laughs) And then all they got to do is just, like, go up into the atmosphere and then they're safe, you know? So it, it was just, I don't know. I, I would have expected the machines, if this is, like, where where they live and they operate and they're learning and replicating and doing all the things, like, you think it would be a little bit better fortified than it was. But I don't know. Maybe, like, no human would be crazy enough to try and go there so then they didn't have to worry about defenses i i don't know i just i had questions about that but whatever it's such a small detail but i was mildly distracted that's fair i was thinking about that too like there is no automated detect detection system like here's a foreign right item let's like unleash the forces and like eliminate as soon as possible no that was weird yeah yeah it seemed and I don't know. I I think that would may, maybe would have added a little bit more tension. I mean, I don't know. I think so because I think there's a lot of tension with the Captain Niobe and the ship and the crew getting back mm-hmm. and them yep. trying to defend Zion. There's so much tension there and we're cutting back and forth between um Neo and Trinity and that that whole zion situation and there feels like an imbalance in tension like the the zion situation is the one that was honestly driving me forward and we're kind of like going back out yes oh what are other friends doing out there um and the only i think real source of tension that we feel is just time uh we know that neo needs to do something within a certain amount of time before zion gets completely destroyed but even i don't we didn't have clear sense of that time constraint the way that we sometimes do in um action movies that have the same like parallel like two plot line structure that this one had um so i i agree i was mostly curious like what is he going to do once he gets there mm-hmm. yeah yeah the the other thing that i was distracted by is that um they were holding hands the whole time that she was driving. And I kept thinking, 10 and 2. Like, what are you doing? There are two handles 
on your steering wheel. I know that's not what it is because it's not a wheel, but whatever. There are two handles that you're supposed to hang on to when driving this ship. How are you doing this one handed? Like, wow, maybe that's why she got impaled a million times because she wasn't at 10 and 2. <laughs> it's important for driving or flying safety. Safe driving practices. Come on, Trudani. Come on. 10 and 2. But well, I get He like, also magically became all knowing. Yes. Yeah. Which kind of bugged me a little bit, but it's fine. He's you know, the one. Okay. Why not? All right. He's <laughs> he already, needed to like, gain some skills. <laughs> right. Like all of a sudden he just has magical powers to see things because mm-hmm. he's blind now and he's yep. all knowing. Yeah. Yeah. Why That's not? convenient. <laughs> Indeed it is. Indeed. I just, yeah. it's so cracked me up though. Like when he could still see, I was like, oh my God, this is daredevil. This is amazing. <laughs> wow. Okay. But yeah, it, it really did feel like way too convenient that, yeah. that, that happened. Um, again, like I just, I wanted a little bit more explanation for these things that he's just somehow able to do, you know, like when he was seeing the, the, the power lines to the machine city and figuring out that's where you needed to go. Like, right. how did you gain this, this power all of a sudden? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I, I don't understand. So I, I think that's, it's not as frustrating as it was in the second film because, you know, like we're still moving forward and we're working towards something. But I I always hate it when, you know, they set up rules and then characters can break the rules willy nilly. And then like, OK, well, why set up rules in the first place if they don't actually exist for this person? Mm-hmm. But, oh, well, he Especially was Especially in dire situations like they're in that are there's so much at stake and Mm -hmm. we're waiting to see how he's going to figure out how what he's going to do and um what is he gonna what's his plan for when he gets there and then Mm -hmm. it's when it's all just so convenient you're like oh well that's not how i experience (laughs) things (laughs) he holds up his Mm -hmm. hand and all the sentinels just are exploding in place and they can never touch him yeah well that's also very convenient (laughs) That's also how I felt about uh, when Trinity and Morpheus rescued Neo from the train station. Like, I was really mm-hmm. happy to be out of there because that was just a frustrating element of the movie. But it also was, like, way too easy. Mm-hmm. I mean, they just go into this club. They beat the crap out of everybody, threaten to kill the French dude, and then, boop, there they are. Problem right. solved. Neo, you're, re- you're rescued. Like, ah. I, I know that that was just, I don't know, a way to like usher us into like the main crux of the film, but I don't know. I just, I wish that there had been a little something more to that, but oh well. It makes the whole, that whole sequence is already kind of purposeless. So it just makes that feel even more purposeless to mm-hmm. me. Like yeah. we didn't get a, a satisfying sequence from that section and this serves no purpose for the larger story. I mean, does anything that happens in the trainman sequence ever amount to anything other than us meeting Sati and seeing that she's like the new, I don't know, the 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 protege for the Oracle is what it's implied? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's that's about it. And it, it, it does explain, you know, that Neo was kind of like in this like limbo between the Matrix and the real world because mm-hmm. – you know, since he collapsed at the end, they needed to explain like what happened to him and then how he came back. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that was about it, you know, and then just some like philosophical stuff. <laughs> yep. The Merovingian still has no purpose. Still. Yeah. Second movie and to this one. Maybe by the fourth movie, they'll give him a better part. Oh, God. I hope he's not in the fourth movie. Oh, please, no. They need him to serve some purpose oh, other than just gosh. to be like a snooty asshole. And I mean, it. Jen, why can't that be enough? Like, <laughs> he does it really, really well. He really He's does. the literal worst. He's a misogynist and a creep and is vindictive as hell. And that should just be enough. Maybe <laughs> that's his purpose. Gotcha. <laughs> Hopefully, we'll leave him behind I and hope so. uh, get new rogue programs <laughs> to follow. Oh, yes. man. I hadn't even thought about him maybe being in the fourth one. Oh, no. 
I'm I mean, not mentally if, prepared for that. I'm I'm waiting for him to mean something. So <laughs> I was so, thinking maybe this movie he would play some role or be be integrated in the larger story in some bigger way. And uh, uh, they don't really come back to him after the first 30 minutes. Oh, nope. He is in the fourth one. So here we go. Get ready. Hey, okay, we're going to find answers to our questions. Yes. I'm sorry you have to endure the studio asshole again, though. It's it's totally fine. It's fine. He's aged 20 years by now, so his skin will be less, less beauteous as it is in this movie. Well, I mean, that's just, it's not going to change his character. So <laughs> it is what it is. But we will see him again. That's, that's good to know. Yep. Fun times. Yep. <laughs> All right. Any other last thoughts about The Matrix Revolutions? Um, yes. My, my final thought is, and this applies for the second movie as well. Um, I hated the score so much in both films. I was so bothered. <laughs> interesting for most of it especially so especially with how both of these films started with the score I felt as though they were trying to be like Star Wars and so Mm. I just yelled at my tv you are not Star Wars and that is okay like please stop (laughs) trying to imitate Star Wars because that's just (laughs) that's not the vibe Mm -hmm. for this film and I remember the score in the first one was just so fun and so electric and like everything seemed to work really really well in that first one but the score really has frustrated me in the second and third films that's interesting I'm intrigued what they will do in the fourth movie and if they will continue on the the tonal direction or if they will shift well we're gonna find out we're gonna find out real (laughs) soon so that leads into my final question, which is what, if anything, are you hoping to see in the fourth movie? Um, that's a good question. A new a new score, new new oh, type new of score, dynamic please, with the score. Please. Um, Answers for the Merovingian. Yes. Yep. That is know. high on your list. That's important. <laughs> um I would like to see um <laughs> Keanu not concussed for two hours. Um <laughs> yes. You know, I don't want to feel like I'm watching another John Wick film and just be being stressed about him. Um, but I mean, honestly, I I'm looking forward to just kind of re-entering this world 20 years later. And I, I think it's a really, a really bold idea to take this franchise that has been so iconic for so long and and meant a lot to a lot of people to like reboot it and i've i've heard good things so far so i'm really excited about that but i think it'll just be fun to dive back in with these characters see how this version of the matrix is a little bit different than the one that we saw in the first three films um and like we already mentioned i i want to see more more women just playing a, a substantial role, not just being a love interest or a support, but actually mm-hmm. uh, contributing. And I, with, with how many um, really good female actors are in this film, I have some, some hope that they'll, that they'll actually do that. But I'm just excited more than anything else. Like, I never thought that The Matrix would get another mm-hmm. film. Yeah. So I'm just, I'm pumped that there's a fourth one. I'm I'm very excited. I'm intrigued too. What will they possibly do next with this? The title's interesting as well. Um, mm-hmm. How will they yep. handle Neo coming back, potentially Trinity coming back? I'm, I'm curious about that. Um, I'm also intrigued to see how they will uh, handle the machines and what what this film has to say about technology. It's been 18 years and the pace of technology has changed and, and accelerated dramatically since 2003. And so I'm, I'm curious how uh, the computer and technology commentary in this movie will uh, play out and what this movie will have to say about all of that. I'm sure we'll get some philosophical dialogue, which we love to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that'll be fun too. And are they going to continue on with the, the black and green uh, mm-hmm. code, you know, that's, yeah. I mean, you very, very, very rarely see that today. <laughs> so 
So mm-hmm. will they continue on or will they adapt it to something that's a little bit more modern? Ooh. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think also that the capabilities for them for the action set pieces are also dramatically different than it was in 2003. So it'll be cool to see how they either uh, shift some of that um, in the action and the choreography and all of that kind of stuff mm-hmm. or if they stick to that more – fun, a, a little bit more like over-the-top um, type of action that we've seen in, in the last three movies. I do hope, speaking of action and choreography, that they rely still primarily on um, like actual, like practical effects yes. and not yes. go heavy into the CGI. Um, we know that Keanu is... Do it. He can do it. Yes. He's just, he's killing it, man. So I I really, really hope that we get more of that. And please, please, not a lot of CGI, please. Yeah, agreed. I totally agree. It's like a a thing that should be used to enhance. It should not be the entire dish. Mm -hmm. That is what I hope to see. I agree. I agree. I also feel like we, you know, three movies later, still don't know much about the machines. And there's very little information we have about them which I think is fine and is kind of the point and they're that's not important but I'm intrigued if they will um go into that at all a little bit more like who are the machines how are they being run um a little bit similar to the way that uh Star Wars when they rebooted as well kind of took us into the world of the stormtroopers with Finn's character and kind of what that looks like um on the other side and I'm intrigued if they will do anything similar to that what if it's just a bunch of like people who are in the sentinels and are driving them Ooh. and so like <laughs> we'll see we'll see the man behind the machine whoa oh gosh that would be awful i hope that they don't do that <laughs> yeah because <laughs> so be many so of them killed off in the other <laughs> right <laughs> yeah Ooh. but that is an interesting thought i hadn't thought I mean, I really hadn't thought much about the machines at all. That would be mm-hmm. that would be one way to go. Hmm. We get a little bit of it in this third movie with yeah. the the um, the face, mm-hmm. the sentinels that become yeah. a face. Uh, but there's so much that's shrouded in mystery about the machines. They're always just referred to as the machines. Yeah. Even the even Zion doesn't communicate that they understand much about the machines, other than. Um, the sentinels and some of the the machinery and their um, infantry that comes, but yeah, there's a whole world there that they might not tackle, but they they could with this reboot. You know, I just thought of an alternate uh, summary <laughs> for this film. Oh, uh, which is Rage Against the Machines. <laughs> yes, they they were coming at them. Mm-hmm. It was so fun to watch those. Scenes. Yeah. And I mean, apparently, if you just yell really, really loud, then it makes your your bullets go further or be more effective. So yeah. you just whoever's the loudest yeller is going to be the best fighter uh, against the machines. So right. that's that's helpful information. They took a page from uh, the tennis player's book with the <laughs> <laughs> apparently yelling helps. Who yeah. who knew? <laughs> All right, let's wrap up. Well, this was our review and discussion of The Matrix Revolutions. You can find it available to stream on HBO Max. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Strategic Whimsy Experiment. This podcast is fueled by our passion for stories and connection and is something we continue to do each week solely because we love it. This is our Strategic Whimsy Experiment, and we encourage you to find a way to infuse whimsy into your day. You can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you tune into your favorite shows. Drop us a review letting us know your thoughts about the Matrix Revolutions. You can connect with us on Instagram at Strategic Whimsy Experiment, on Twitter at Strategic Whimsy, or you can email us at strategicwhimsyexperiment at gmail.com. We will be back next week to discuss the newest Matrix film, The Matrix Resurrections. Very excited for that. We hope you have an amazing week and we'll see you very, very soon.